You're listening to the Maritime Gardening Podcast, Episode 75, brought to you by Vessi Seeds and Safer's Gardening Products. Hey, Maritime Gardening Podcast is back for a fourth season. It's Greg here, coming to you from Nova Scotia, Canada, and we got another season on the go. And we got a great lineup for you this year. Um, I've got the, lots of guests. Almost every other show this season, I'm going to have a guest, whether it's a, a book author, a gardening book author, or a YouTuber. I'm trying to get trying to get more YouTubers on, um, and some scientists. You know, I love my scientists. And we're going to have some scientists on to talk about the science of gardening wherever we can. And guess what? This year we've made it into the top 20 according to blog.feedspot.com. They have a website where they rank various kinds of podcasts and among the gardening podcasts, Maritime Gardening Podcast is now in the top 20. And you might say, well, who cares? But last year we were in the top 100 and that was season three. Now we're season four and we're in the top 20. Who knows where this is going to go next year. Um, so I want to thank all of you for that. I don't get any money for that, but it's a nice little accolade. And it's, it's nice to let all of you know that your viewership has put me there. That's just wonderful. Um, this season, uh, we're going to try something new. I'm going to podcast is going to be available the way it always has been on my website, MaritimeGardening.com. Uh, you can listen into it onto the website. You can also download it from the website. And also it's available through you know, iTunes and Stitcher and other fine podcast directories worldwide. Uh, I'm not sure of all of them. That I, you know, every time I do a Google search for Maritime Gardening, I get different ones. But certainly iTunes and Stitcher, they're on there. Um, but we're also going to put this up on YouTube simultaneously for some people that only listen to podcasts on YouTube. I, I have to admit, I am a good example of that. There are very... Uh, very few podcasts I'll download and listen to on my commute. That's a very intimate thing to have someone in your car. And for those of you that do it with me, that's just great. Uh, but I, I, I'm kind of voracious in listening to podcasts on YouTube. So I thought, well, I wonder if there's other people that will listen to lots of different things on YouTube. Uh, so why not? Why not just make it available on YouTube as well? So simultaneously this season, it's going to be available on YouTube as well as my website and as well as other uh, podcast uh, platforms. So I hope that uh, reaches more people and uh, gets the word out and uh, increases the viewership. And uh, if you've got anyone that you know that's into gardening and they want to learn about no-till gardening, permaculture, gardening on the cheap, growing as much of your own food as you possibly can for as little money and work and effort and inputs as possible, then uh, this isn't the only place, but I think it's a pretty good place to get that information from. So, I'm from the Maritimes, and here in this part of the world, we often start a conversation about talking about the weather, so I'm going to just say what a bizarre winter it's been here in uh, Zone 6A, Maritime, Nova Scotia, Canada. Right up until very recently, we've had no snow, despite having... You know, well below freezing temperatures, uh, a lot of weird sort of rain. We'll have, it's weird here in, in the winter. We'll have, on a really sunny day, it'll be cold, double digit below zero sort of thing. Um, and zero, I'm talking Celsius, right? Double digits below zero, below, below the freezing temperature of water. We'll have a really sunny day, and that'll be a cold day. And you'll have an overcast day when there's snow and stuff, and, and those tend to be the warmer days where it, it gets very close to uh, zero. It might even go above. Like it, it, certainly, if it goes from minus 15 to plus 3 Celsius, it's going to snow. Almost guaranteed. So it's really weird. So, we'll, you know, and 
every year is different, but it tends to be, especially where I live, this part of the province, and uh, my province has many microclimates, but it'll warm up and we'll get a whole bunch of snow and then we'll get a whole bunch of rain. The snow will disappear and then it'll be minus 15 for a week. Um, so the ground is very frozen and there's a lot of ice in the ground and we just got a layer of snow, I would say a week or so ago. Um, it's, it's February 20th as I record this right now, 2019. And about a week or so, a week ago, I'd say, we got, you know, almost to the day, I think, uh, we had a snowstorm and that is the first snow that went on the ground that didn't completely melt. There's actually snow on the ground. And I am terrified because uh, I'm afraid that that snow is going to hold in, you know, insulate the ground from the air as things warm up in <clears throat> March and April. And it's going to keep the ground from thawing. I mean, there's a, there's a point, an ideal winter is where you get a huge snowstorm in December and the snow doesn't melt till spring. And a winter like that, the ground might not even freeze because the snow will create this insulative blanket over the ground. But when you have a useless winter like this where the ground's exposed all winter long and it's double digit below zero, the ground just gets more and more and more like ice. And you can see some of the videos I've done Oh, in recent weeks where I'm out seeing which of my beds are frozen and which of the ones aren't frozen, the beds that aren't covered in any way, it's like concrete, right? <laughs> so those are going to be, I would predict, slow to thaw. So uh, I have no idea where this is going or what kind of spring we'll have. Uh, but uh, <laughs> regardless of that, it's uh, seed buying season. And in this episode, I wanted to talk about the old hybrid versus heirloom question, right? Wade into that question because people are buy, buying seeds and it's something you, you dither about. Um, hybrids are said to have great qualities and heirlooms are supposed to have all oh, they have the taste and it's the, the heritage and the history and you can save the seeds and all sorts of stuff. And uh, I wanted to contrast the relative pros and cons and also just, uh, you know, wade into some of the uh, myths or potential myths that tend to get floated around there on various internet sites and webs and blogs and stuff like that. There's a fair amount of uh, misinformation about this topic and uh, hopefully you'll, you'll take what I'm saying as genuine on this. I could really care less what you buy or where you buy it. I have a sponsor but I have a fantastic relationship with my sponsor where I'm allowed to say whatever I want and that's just, that's just great, right? So yeah, if you want to uh, you know, show some sort of support of the show. Don't give me money. Buy stuff from my sponsors, but you don't have to. Um, do whatever you want, right? That's the great thing about when you've got your own garden. You do whatever you want. So first, before I wade into that discussion, I'm going to define what I mean when I use these terms. And the reason I'm going to do this is because people often get into, you know, when you're someone like me who's got a YouTube channel and I'm on Facebook and you get into discussions, online discussions with people and people will go wild arguing with you, but there's no discussion of what what are the words you're using, what do they actually mean, what are we talking about when we say heirloom, what are we talking about when we say hybrid, and so on and so forth. So like any good discussion, any good debate or conversation argument, let's define the terms first so we all are talking about the same thing, we're all thinking about the same things as I'm putting these ideas forward. So open pollinated seeds. Okay, we're going to talk about three kinds of seeds, open pollinated, heirloom, and hybrid. What's an open pollinated seed? Open pollinated, what does that mean? That is a, a variety of plant that has a seed, right? A seed, open pollinated seed is a seed from a variety of plant that 
<clears throat> when that plant matures and you save the seed from that, assuming it hasn't cross-pollinated with anything else, uh, you can save the seed from that plant, take that seed and put it in the ground and grow the same plant again. When you get an open pollinated kale, you grow that kale in your garden, uh, you let it come back the second year, kale takes two years to make seeds, grows it, makes flowers, has seeds, you save those seeds and when you plant those seeds, you get the exact same kale. That's what open pollinated means. Heirloom seed is an open pollinated seed, seed from a hundred years ago or there's different people will say they're old-time cultivars or traditional cultivars. I think the general rule of thumb is that a, a high, uh, an heirloom is a open pollinated seed from before World War II. I've also read that it's from a hundred years ago. I mean there's all these different uh, timelines or cutoff points or what have thresholds of time that they consider something to be heirloom but basically they're seeds that people used a long time ago and they're they're traditional in various cultures and so on and so forth and uh, and of course many of these are being lost and that's a whole nother probably a whole nother episode to talk about because uh, the seed providers aren't selling them and they're not available for sale although there's many websites you can get them from um, so the, an heirloom is an open pollinated seed that's been around a long time and you know uh, old, old in the sense that it's been, uh, you know, in use from a long time back. Now let's contrast that with a hybrid, right? A hybrid is a variety of plant that results when two open pollinated varieties of the same plant cross pollinate, right? So let's say we've got uh, a good example. Let's take two heirlooms. Let's say we've got Scotch curly kale which is, and we're going to use a kale example, let's say we've got Scotch curly kale and we've got um, red Russian kale. I, I believe those, those are both heirloom seeds, correct me if I'm wrong, but they're certainly both open pollinated seeds. So we save the seeds from those, or we grow those two plants side bed, let's say we have a bed with those seeds intermingled and they cross pollinate each other and a new plant results from that, right? That's a hybrid. Or let's say, and just in case I got that one wrong, let's say we got a type of uh, yellow bush bean. That's an heirloom. And we've got a type of green bush bean. That's an heirloom. And we grow them side by side, and the bees grow from the one plant to the other, and they cross-pollinate, and you get some weird new bean. right? That, that, that's not particularly yellow, and it's not particularly green. It's in between. And maybe it tastes better, maybe it tastes worse, whatever. Um, that's a hybrid, right? The result when two open pollinated varieties, whether they're high heirloom or not, um, when they cross pollinate, the seed that results from that is a hybrid plant. Okay, and uh, I'm going to leave the topic of GMOs uh, out of the conversation here. I'm going to define it right now just so you know what I'm not talking about. GMO is a genetically modified organism, right? And that involves genetic engineering right not cross-pollination that's actual scientists in a lab going in there and really mucking around with genomes and, uh, you know very sophisticated sort of stuff that's not what we're talking about in this show we're talking about hybrids heirlooms and open pollinated um, generally speaking and I don't talk about GMOs in the show because it's not an option for backyard guards at least in my country you can't just buy GMOs you have to have a farm you have to fill out a form and get a permit and you know there's a whole thing you have to do to get them 
Uh, some Tom, Dick, or Harry can't just grow GMOs in their backyard. It doesn't work that way here. So it's really not an option. Uh, I'm not particularly a fan of them. Um, but uh, I, I, I would not grow them anyway, if, even if they were. But that's a whole other topic, and I'm not get, it's a, an absolute quagmire. I'm not going to get into it here. I'm going to get into the options that you have as a gardener when you go to a seed provider. Most seed providers will have. Uh, all three of those. They'll have heirlooms, they'll have open pollinated, and they'll have a hybrid. And often it'll say, it'll either say hybrid or it'll say heirloom. So let's talk about hybrids here and let's talk about the pros and cons of hybrids. Um, one of the pros is that they tend to be selected for, I mean, when you buy a hybrid, you're, you're buying a seed that has been developed by a seed provider where they're combining different varieties and hoping to get uh, desired traits, right? So they're not just doing this willy-nilly. They'll take a seed that, uh, an example of a hybrid is maybe you've got a variety of, uh, I don't know, a bean that has an extraordinary taste, really tasty, but it's not drought resistant. It has shallow roots and you have to keep watering it all season long. Uh, any sort of hot spell, it'll just wilt and die because uh, it's got shallow roots. Let's say we got another bean Tastes awful. Tastes like dirt. Um, but the roots go down two feet deep or something like that, right? So you don't have to water the thing at all. So each of those beans has a desirable quality, but uh, neither one of them is particularly desirable in and of itself. Um, unless, like, you know, maybe the one with the good taste is desirable if you, if you live somewhere where you're getting rain all the time, right? But um, very few of us have those conditions. So uh, a seed provider might cross-pollinate those two and see what happens and they may find after doing repeated trials and experiments and so forth that under certain conditions when it happens in a certain way um, it results in a new bean that has excellent drought tolerance and excellent flavor right so that's why hybrids and there's other reasons hybrids some hybrids are selected for their uh, shelf life right or some of them are selected because they are particularly bright in color because it sells better uh, on a sh on a uh, store shelf or you know when you go to the supermarket you might have uh, two different kinds of beans and one's really dull and tastes good and the another one uh, is super shiny green but uh, doesn't taste that good at all and uh, they might develop and they might just select for that quality because people tend to buy with their eyes right um, so and you know there's, there's some um, trial and error you have to go through and trying different varieties in that sense as a home gardener what you want if you're going to choose a hybrid a pro is that some hybrids have incredible yields I mean this have a great yield so that, that's a pro if, if, if most hybrids will have that quality but not always you have to read about it and, and don't just read about you know if you're going to try a new variety of something don't just read about it from the place you're buying it from of course they're going to say everything's awesome uh, you know read other sources you know if every source you can find and, and I would I would look beyond using a, a seed vendor or a seed seller a sales source as your source of information because you know salespeople just say everything they're selling is great right um, I went to buy a car last year and everywhere I went they said their cars were great but uh, I'm sure if all those cars were in a race or a tractor pull uh, only one of them would have won right <laughs> so you know shop around and, and find uh, sort of uh, third-party information that's got no skin in the game isn't trying to sell you nothing right but a good pro of a hybrid it can have a great yield it can be I mean, 
pest resistant, maybe like a higher oxalic acid content is something that if you cook it, it goes away. Maybe more, uh, a lot of uh, newer hybrids are bred or selected for their capacity to resist diseases that have developed in recent years, right? More prevalent. There are certain diseases that are more prevalent now than they may have been in the 80s or the 70s or the 60s or the 40s. So there may be certain uh, older varieties, older cultivars of, of certain plants that, sure, they taste great, but they're not resistant to pests and problems and things like that that uh, are far more prevalent now than they, they would have been years ago. So new hybrids tend to be resistant like that. Um, disease resistance, drought tolerance, uh, some of them are, are selected for better storage, faster growing, etc. Basically, when you're buying a hybrid, what you're buying is evolution in a sense, right? You're buying something that is continued to, you know, the continued selection process. And just to step back a minute, I mean, every one of the heirlooms and every one of the open pollinated variety of seed at some point in time was a hybrid. Right? I mean, if you grow corn this year, and if it's an heirloom corn, it's not the same corn the Aztecs were growing. <laughs> right? I mean, corn used to be this teeny tiny thing, maybe smaller than your pinky finger. Right? Uh, or wheat, you know, or pick anything, right? Just about any variety of anything you grow. Um, if you went back 500 years, 600 years, 1,000 years, um, you probably could not find anything resembling what you're growing right now. Uh, an open pollinated seed is the seed of a variety that at some point was a hybrid and then the hybrid became stabilized right you develop a hybrid by cross-pollinating two varieties of something and uh, and then you keep trying to save the seeds of that hybrid year after year and eventually um, when, when conditions are right you get a version of a hybrid that has seeds that you can save and when you plant those seeds it makes the same plant it makes that hybrid again once that happens, it's not a hybrid anymore. It's an open pollinated plant. And if you go ahead 100 years, maybe people will call that an heirloom plant, right? So every single heirloom plant that everybody celebrates, at some point it was a hybrid, right? Because uh, it was selected by humans for certain qualities, right? You go back far enough. These are all just weeds that human beings just happen to be able to eat. Uh, some of them we could eat raw and some of them we could eat cooked. And we, we save them and we save the seeds and we tended to save the seeds of the ones that we thought tasted good. And we planted them and then they, they pollinate each other and there's a little bit of random variation. And we save the seeds again every season. We save the seeds from the ones we thought tasted good. And then we go meet some people from somewhere else and they'd have something like what we had. But it was a little bit different and we liked it more. So we took those seeds and uh, sometimes we planted those seeds at the same time as planting our seeds and they cross-pollinate because we didn't even understand how that worked back then, back in the Neolithic Revolution at that sort of point in time when human beings were just learning how to do all of this stuff. And those things hybridized and eventually those things stabilized and became open-pollinated. Right? So we're these are all part of the same process, okay? Um, except modern hybrids don't, uh, the ones you're buying, modern hybrids from a seed provider, they're not happening by accident, right? You've got scientists in a, in a uh, some sort of botanical research facility, and they're cross-pollinating on There's some poor, poor, poor research assistant that's going around with a little sponge or a feather, and they're they're taking the pollen off one plant and dusting it onto the flower of the other plant, trying to make something happen, and taking down records and and you know 
being very careful and very scientific in the recording of information to see which crosses produce the desirable results. So those are the, the pros of the hybrid, right? You might get yield, you might get pest resistant, you might get disease resistant, all that sort of stuff. Maybe better storage, maybe faster growing. A lot of the ones that, for instance, a lot of hybrids that are sold by um, uh, Vessies and a lot of other uh, sponsors that cater to shorter growing season, they're selected for their speed, faster growing, right? Shorter time to maturity and that sort of stuff because when you got a short growing season, that's desired quality. Uh, now, what are the cons of a hybrid? Well, they cost more. They tend to cost more because it didn't just happen, right? <laughs> if you've got a good open pollinated variety, I mean, I, I save seeds in my own garden from open pollinated varieties of certain things I grow. Uh, and <laughs> all you got to do is let it make a flower and then just shake the flower into a bucket and save the seeds. Um, for the most part, I mean, I'm oversimplifying, but in most cases, that's all you got to do. Um, that's a lot easier than some poor fool going around dusting pollen onto flowers and stuff like that, right? So hybrids tend to cost more. They might cost a dollar or two more a pack. Uh, for me, if, if you're buying uh, 200 seeds, um, spending a dollar more a pack isn't really that big a deal if you're going to get bigger, better, you know, more disease-resistant plants. But sometimes uh, there, there might be a, an heirloom or an open pollinated variety that you just like so you, so you grow. Anyway, one con is they cost more. Uh, another is that, uh, generally speaking, when you grow a hybrid, you can't save the seeds. It's not to say that you can't. It's just that if you save the seeds, it, there's no guarantee you're going to get the same plant. Right? You might have this fantastic tomato. Oh, my God, it tastes so good. It grew so fast. It didn't get blight. Everything was great. And then you save the seeds and you plant it and you get cherry tomatoes. And most of the time when you save the seeds from a hybrid tomato, you're going to get uh, cherry tomatoes. And they might taste good and they might taste like nothing, right? So that's another con. Another con with a hybrid, if, if you're not choosing well, is it might be a hybrid that's been developed for agricultural purposes. So you might be sacrificing taste. You might be sacrificing nutrition. It really depends, right? It might be a hybrid that's been selected for commercial food growers that their main goal isn't the best taste and the best flavor but the thing that looks the best um, by the time it gets on the shelf at the grocery store that's the last thing you would ever want to grow as a home gardener because I mean you harvest your food minutes before you cook it right you get it all fresh from the garden right so uh, you, you know it's not going to be picked and put on a truck and it's going to spend two weeks on the road going from one place to another and all that sort of stuff, right? Um, so you have no interest in that quality. And it may or may not be, uh, you know, the same nutrition. It really depends on what you're growing. But if it's a hybrid that's just been developed for uh, positive qualities, then you're, you're just getting more bang for your buck. Uh, and there's certainly hybrids I grow every year that I can say that uh, about. Open pollinated. Uh, what are the pros? Well, you can save the seeds. Uh, right? That's just a great... Uh, so I grow... Uh, hollow crown parsnips every year. I save the seeds every year. And, uh, you know, it's just great. Also, there's just some fantastic open pollinated varieties. Or, um, you know, there's a ridiculous range of uh, open pollinated and heirloom variety plants. There's far more open pollinated and heirloom varieties than there are hybrids, right? Because those are all the varieties that existed before now. So there's an incredible selection. And some of them are just incredible uh, in terms of the flavor department. And some of them, the only reason people don't grow them is because seed providers don't sell them anymore. 
That's the only reason they're not available. It's not because they're not good. It's not because they're, they don't have good pest resistance or whatever, right? So it's totally worth your while buying them. And most seed providers prov uh, provide open pollinator varieties, right? I think the, like what's a good example on one heirloom I bought this year was a giant Ford hook. Uh, Swiss chard. It's just this huge Swiss chard if you can get it to grow right. Uh, it's just an impressive, it tastes good and it's just big green Swiss chard. Um, so last year I grew uh, what I think is a hybrid Silverado. Um, correct me if I'm wrong on that, but this year I'm going to try to grow uh, uh, the uh, giant Ford hook because I just, <laughs> what can I say? I want to have huge uh, Swiss chard. And that's a, a hybrid, that's a uh, an heirloom variety. The giant Ford hook is not a hybrid like that. So, um, and they're cheap. I think they're like 250 a pack. So it's a great deal. Um, so that's the other thing about open pollinated seeds. They tend to cost less, right? Or if you're saving your own seeds, they cost nothing. I mean, a good example is um, another example is uh, I, I bought a pack of rattlesnake pole beans years ago, and I haven't bought them since. I mean, every year I grow, I eat a ridiculous, you know, bowls and bowls and bowls and bowls and bowls. Of rattlesnake poles beans and I spent two dollars on a pack of seeds for that variety in 2012 haven't spent a cent since so I mean pretty good value for money right I've probably grown and eaten a couple of hundred bucks worth of beans from that two dollar pack and every year I get the exact because it's a open pollinated plant and stabilized right at some point that was a hybrid um, but every year I get the exact same bean. And, and I don't even take particularly good care to make sure things don't cross-pollinate. Um, the only thing I do is that those tend to be the only pole beans I grow. So they tend to be higher than the other beans. And also because they're pole beans, they tend to um, come into bloom later than the other beans. I grow bush beans, and that's my only pole bean. So generally speaking, it's the probability of a bee going from bush bean to my pole bean is low. That's not to say it couldn't happen. It can totally happen. And if there's ever a year that does happen, I'm never going to have <laughs> rattlesnake pole beans again. I'll have to go buy a new uh, buy a pack and start that over again and be a little more careful. Maybe plant them further apart, right? I know that uh, seed providers, seed developers, they have like fine mesh screens and they, you know all these uh, steps and measures that they uh, use to keep them all separated. Um, so that doesn't that cross pollination doesn't happen, but I don't bother doing that sort of thing. I'm just too darn lazy. Um, so there's only a handful of things I save the seeds from, and it tends to work out fine. What's the other the con? Con for open pollinated is that they may or may not be disease resistant for the strains of disease that exist now, so especially some heirlooms. Or you might have an heirloom zucchini that uh, has a fantastic yield delicious zucchini but it's not uh, resistant to uh, what's that powdery mildew and that sort of stuff right some of the newer varieties are and they still have good flavor as well right uh, some of the new varieties are resistant to that and they taste terrible right really you gotta you gotta you gotta play around with it a little bit when you find one you like uh, you know you stay with it because you're gonna get all the benefits of flavor without the, the risk of you know, losing your 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 crop or your yield due to some disease that uh, older varieties aren't resistant to. Again, I know there's going to be people that are like, "Wait a minute, this." Uh, no, I'm not saying don't buy heirloom varieties. I'm just saying 
you've got options, right? You don't have to, you know, certainly if you're a permaculture gardener, you don't have to. I mean, uh, I watch a lot of these YouTubers and, and garden gurus talking about this. It's just a maddening to listen to. You don't have to own grow heirlooms. That's madness. That's ridiculous. Um, if you if you can get if you want to save your own seeds, you don't have to grow heirlooms. You can grow open pollinated varieties and save those seeds. And uh, if you're not worried about the world ending next year, and uh, you're you're fairly confident you're going to be able to buy seeds, um, then you can just buy hybrids because sometimes they perform extraordinarily well. Right? Uh, in my garden, I I plant all three. Right? You know, spend an extra three dollars here or there to get a uh, disease-resistant, high-yield, excellent-tasting hybrid seed. And the other con of an open-pollinated variety is if you save your seeds, uh, they may cross with something else, and so you may not get uh, what you. And you, <laughs> you're not going to find out till deep into the following season. Like to give to give my rattlesnake pole beans as an example, I saved all my seeds this year. I got a nice uh, bag of seeds from my rattlesnake pole beans last year. And I'm going to plant them all in uh, late May, early June. And I'm not going to know. And it could I could find out in September 2019 that they cross-pollinated with something. And just through random forces, that cross-pollination resulted in a bean that is terrible. And I won't know it until it's too late to do anything about it. I'll have to wait a whole other year. So that's a risk you run with saving your own seeds with an open-pollinated. But... Um, I've never, I don't think I've ever really had that happen. Um, I've never had a, I have had random varieties occur. Uh, I've always found the random varieties to be good and interesting as well, not not terrible, right? So I've never really uh, had anything other than a pleasant surprise. That's not to say it can't happen. You could get that miracle plant that grows poorly and tastes bad. <laughs> That's just as likely as getting the miracle plant that grows easily and tastes great, right? Anything can happen. Um, now, I have literally read on some fairly high-profile gardening websites that hot heirlooms taste better and are more nutritious. That is just just that, that is a unfounded claim. There's no scientific reason for that. I mean, an heirloom plant is a plant that was a hybrid at some point. It's just a stabilized hybrid. I would love to see a study that actually bears that. I'm sure there are modern hybrids that don't taste as good as heirlooms. That's completely possible. But you could have two varieties of heirloom where one tastes better than the other. I mean, these are just different varieties of a particular plant. And certainly, if we're talking about hybrids that have been developed for agricultural the agricultural industry you may have a hybrid that's got a high yield and a great shelf life and a, an excellent color and they they look fresh even when they're half rotten you know all those things are all those are qualities that are desirable from a food grower food seller's point of view they're not desirable to you as a just backyard gardener food eater that's all possible but that doesn't mean that all hybrids turn out that way i mean you could have a a seed provider that's or a seed developer that develops seeds for taste, for yield, for nutrition, right? All of that can happen too. Certainly, the the varieties of things like wheat and corn and potatoes and sort of stuff over time, right? When human beings were learning how to grow their own food, 
they were selecting for nutrition, right? They were selecting for taste, right? And that still goes on today. It really depends. It's specific to the variety you choose, right? You could choose a modern hybrid that is inferior in taste and nutrition to a heirloom. But you could also choose a modern hybrid that's superior in taste and nutrition to an heirloom. It really depends on what you choose to buy. So I think that's pretty much it. That's the point I wanted to make today. It's, it's seed buying season, so I thought I'd just walk people through uh, those those uh, considerations and the arguments behind either case. And uh, you know, if you want my advice, just do whatever you want. <laughs> do whatever works for you. Now, we're towards the end of the show here. I just want to say a, a note about my two sponsors. Um, if you're uh, if you want to get free shipping on your seeds, I'll have all this information in the show notes. But um, or if you're on YouTube in the description box uh, for Vessi's seeds. Um, if you live in Canada, the United States, there's a different website for each. Again, the, the um, instructions are in the description box or the show notes. If you use the the coupon code GAVS19, you get free shipping on whatever you buy, unless it's a you know really really big heavy thing like a rototiller or something like that. But you know, we're all no-till gardeners, so we don't need rototillers. Um, the catch is that as long you got to buy one pack of seeds with whatever you buy. So whatever you buy, you buy a pack of seeds, you get free shipping. Buy 10 apple trees and a pack of seeds, free shipping. So that, that sort of thing can really add up. Or or potatoes, right? Potatoes have a fair amount of weight and they're expensive to ship. Um, and Vessies have very uh, a good selection, a good variety of potatoes. Um, so you buy some bags of potatoes and you get a pack of seeds, you get free shipping. So there's a lot to be gained through that deal. It doesn't sound like much, but it adds up. And uh, my other sponsor is Safer's Gardening Products. They make various, uh, uh, what you might say, organic pesticides, pesticides that... Um, if you're an organic gardener, um, they may be less offensive to you than other options. If you use the code Maritime, M-A-R-I-T-I-M-E, uh, you'll get 15% off on whatever you buy from their uh, online store, whether it's the U.S. online store or the Canadian online store. Check out the show notes for description box if you're interested in that. So I hope you found that interesting. It gave you some good ideas and helped you wrap your head around all those decisions you have to make this year in terms of what you're going to buy. If you did like this, please like, share, subscribe. Check out my podcast, MaritimeGardening.com. Check out my YouTube channel. And until next time, get out there, get at it, have fun in your garden. Thanks for listening.